11, and we are up to verse number 14. We're going to work this morning down through verse number 28. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. We've already read most of this, so I'll not reread it, but we will read it as we go along. In this text today, we find a group testing Jesus, and they raise an accusation to which Jesus brings a contradiction, and then he explains himself with an illustration. And in the end, his message is very clear. He is the Christ, and we must choose to be with him or against him. And he takes this further and explains that being with him means hearing and keeping God's word. So I want to preach to you from Luke 11, 14 through 28 on testing Jesus. Let's pray before we do. Lord, we thank you for time together in your word today with your church. We ask for your blessing upon this time. Holy Spirit, may you work here as only you can in spite of us sinful human beings. Help us to put ourselves and other distractions out of the way and let you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin in verses 14 through 16 with the accusation brought before Jesus. Notice what the word says. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. So we have Jesus here in loving kindness, helping someone. He cast a demon out of a person that was not allowing this person to speak. Whatever your thoughts are about what happens here in this story, I think most any human being initially sees this as a time for rejoicing. What a wonderful thing Jesus has done. This person who is not able to speak is now able to speak again. This is a person that was suffering, and Jesus took away his suffering. But when Jesus healed this man, instead of these people rejoicing, they began to accuse Jesus of being in league with Satan. They start talking about Beelzebub and how he's using that power to perform this miracle. Can can get into some study here about that specific reference here in verse 15. It's, it's interesting. It's not my, it's not my forte. I, I don't love negative. I love positive. If you, if you come to me with a question, it's hard for me to ever tell you no. I say, I say yes a lot to things that I probably should say no to, just how I'm wired. So as I got to reading through some of that this week, and I thought I should probably preach to you about this, I was just like, oh, I don't want to preach to you about a devil. I don't want to preach to you about Jesus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, neglect that part of the sermon this morning, and you guys can do your own study if you will. But just know this. This was a, this was a demon empowered by Satan. That's, that's enough, right? There's some interesting stuff there, though. But these people asking for this sign, Jesus has just given a sign. He just cast a demon out of a person, and there's visible physical proof. Well, this is them being in direct rebellion against the truth of God's word, and the people in direct rebellion against the truth of God's word are religious leaders here. This accusing Jesus is direct rebellion. Instead of rejoicing that God has sent the promised Redeemer, who is doing the things that the promised Redeemer is supposed to do, they begin to 
seek to discredit Christ's work and to discredit Christ's character. Not only were some accusing Jesus of working miracles through the power of Satan, but they, they began to test him, these others here, as they sought a sign from heaven, which they had just seen. But they wanted more. And they voiced it in a way to say, well, we want more clearer. We want something else to further prove that this was of heaven and not of hell. Partly I look on this, and as I read it, I begin to think, and and I want to use Dr. R.C. Sproul's famous statement and say, what's wrong with you people? What is wrong with these people? But we know skeptics, and I don't think we should assume that they were any different then than they are now. Skeptics are never trying to credit, but only ever trying to discredit. Riken says here, many people who say that they are skeptics have no sincere desire to know God at all. They are only using their skepticism as an excuse for avoiding the hard realities of sin, death, and judgment. J.C. Ryle said, it is always one mark of a thoroughly unbelieving heart to pretend to want more evidence of the truth of religion. Well, if they could ever answer this question, I might believe. You have no intention to believe. That's why you keep asking questions. That God has given more than enough evidence. What holds you back is your own pride. Even the pride of your own skepticism. Even for me, at 11 years old, As the Holy Spirit convicted me unto salvation, the thing that held me back was my own pride in admitting to the other people in my life that I was not saved, that I was different than they were. And I had to humble myself before God to be saved. Well, Jesus answers their accusation here with a contradiction. Notice verse 17. He begins by saying, A house divided cannot stand. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. So his answer to this accusation is the contradiction here that a house divided against itself will not be able to stand. The logic is, why would Jesus, if empowered by Satan, use this power against a demon of Satan? Well, he would not. It's like in a basketball game. There's always that one kid that really wanted to play, but probably shouldn't be playing basketball. We get an amen from the fox corner right there. Yeah, I figured. I figured. By the end of the season, that kid finally gets in the game and is so excited just to get on the court and then gets the ball and is going to get a wide open shot and they just can't believe it. And everybody else in the gym is yelling what to them? It's the wrong basket. (laughs) They shoot and make it for the other team. And the other team says, hooray, you did good for us. This is Jesus' logic here. If I'm working for Satan, why would I cast out a demon? It's very logical. Why would Satan fight against himself and divide his own kingdom? By what power were the Jews themselves casting out demons, Jesus asked here. Evidently, this was a thing happening 
and among Judaism. And he says, what power are your sons using them? Let them be the judge. Let them be the answer to this accusation you brought against them. How do your works differ from my works, Christ said. Then in verse 20, he continues answering this accusation by saying, the kingdom of God has come. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying here these miracles show that the kingdom of God is present, not the kingdom of Satan. We're not bringing bondage, we're bringing freedom. We're not oppressing people, we're releasing people. Why would the religious authorities of this day not want this? Why would the religious authorities of this day fight against this? Why would those who were seemingly God's institution on the earth at this time resist God doing this magnificent thing? As we understand Scripture, the very doctrine of their religion for the Jews at this point is not yet, but soon He will come. And we're waiting for this. And and He came and they said, Oh, this is, you're doing this by the power of Satan. What is their motivation here? What is their drive? This is fulfillment of exactly where their system points to. I would submit to you this morning that at some point they had lost sight of what their doctrine was preaching. Sorry, I got distracted there. At some point, they lost sight of what they were supposed to be preaching. And they instead became content just running a religious system. At this point, Jesus' advent doesn't help them at all. It sort of messes up what they're doing. It messes up their programming. It messes up their agenda. It messes up their order of service. It messes up their funds. It messes up their five-year plan. It messes up everything for them. It's almost as if they're, they're saying, well, I finally got my turn. Couldn't he have come ten years later? In typical human fashion, they're acting out what we often think and hopefully are not acting out, but it's our human nature. I like things the way they are and I really don't want them to change. I wonder, are we much different in our current traditions in the church? Jesus says to these religious leaders, no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. And they're resisting it. No doubt the kingdom of God has come to us. I personally believe we're living in a transitional time for the church in America. You can go to other countries and things are different than they are here, especially in the church. But in America, I think we're, we are living in a time where the church is going to divide. COVID started that for us. And I think we're going to see a portion of the church go in one direction and a portion of the church say, like some people said in the Old Testament, please don't take me any further. I'd just assume stay right here. I'm comfortable here. I like it like this. I don't want it to be any different than it is. All my life we've been becoming primed for this. There were things that were tenets. Oh, they weren't doctrinal, but they were tenets. 
you weren't allowed to do this and you weren't supposed to do this and you better not ever do that. And then over the years, I begin to see those foundations, which weren't true foundations, kind of get crumbly and breaky. And some people said, well, let's just go with what the Bible says and let them be. And then other people says, no, we'll never. <laughs> and you begin to watch the landscape of the American church, and you could see the churches who says, no, we will never. They got dustier. They got dimmer. They got emptier. And many, many, many of them shut down. But God always has a remnant. And God always has a true church. I couldn't put my finger on it, or maybe I didn't want to put my finger on it this week as I studied through this passage. What is it about Harpeth Baptist Church that would cause us to act in this way? I mean, I could name a whole bunch of things and say, well, it could be this or it could be that. I don't think we have to hypothesize this morning. I think probably you're already thinking about some things because you're thinking, I hope he doesn't say this. It's likely that very thing that will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, at least for you. It's, it's a whole new world out there, isn't it? It's just not the same as it used to be. And I'm not talking about since when some of you were children. I mean, since not 2019. It's just not the same world anymore. This, this doesn't change our doctrine. It shouldn't change our motive. But it is in so many ways already affected our methods. Do y'all remember who resisted live streaming so, so roughly? It was me. You guys were saying we should do live streaming. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Why? It doesn't fit our ecclesiology. I'm going to look into the camera when I say this. It still doesn't fit our ecclesiology. This is, you are not gathering on the, with the church from there. You're gathering with the church from here. And I still think I'm right. But look, we have a camera back there and a computer, and we got a man who pushes buttons. Jimmy can turn me off anytime he wants to, can't you, Jimmy? <laughs> it, it rubbed against my grain. I didn't like it. Now, I've seen the benefits. I was visiting with Liz and Michael in the hospital, and they said, we're so glad we have the live stream because Michael was in the hospital, and we got to plug in with church this morning. Praise the Lord, right? We look at the Bible and we say, what's wrong with these people? Jesus just released a man from a demon that couldn't talk, that was keeping him from being able to talk. And they said, well, we don't know. Show us another sign. And Jesus says, why would I do this in the power of Satan? If I did that, I'd be like a house divided against itself. It cannot stand. This isn't the power of God because the kingdom of God is with you now. But they're resisting it. And they take it so far as to cast the very Son of God out of their religion by murder. How far will we take it? What is your thing? Mine was the live stream. And suits and ties, of course. But, but what are we going to let be that thing for Harpeth Baptist Church that we say, 
We're just never going to change on this. We're never going to adapt. We're never going to adjust. We're going to hold to this, not because we can put our finger on a verse that talks about it, but just because this is how we like it and this is how it's going to be. Some of you are antsy hearing me say this. We're a very traditional church. I like that. I'm a very traditional person. So this church suits me. But I'll tell you when it becomes unsuitable for me, when when it costs us the Holy Spirit. When us clinging to our traditions quenches the Holy Spirit And then we begin to act like an unsaved skeptic from when then the ranks of the actual church. Think up against what they were seeing here. We need to answer the question ourselves. Were they looking for and working toward the advent of Christ? Obviously they were not. He came, he was born a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And at every point, organized religion worked against him. So we must answer the same question because we're up against the second advent of Christ. I remember as a young person, I would think to myself, I would hear a preacher preach about the return of Christ, and I would think to myself, well, I've never driven a car before. I hope Jesus comes back after I've got, once I've had my license and I can drive a little bit. And there was a whole long, long list of things like that that I wanted to do in life. And my own carnality drove me to not, not say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, then we had kids, and every day of my life I said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I preached at a graduation recently, and that was my joke when I got up to speak. Because before I talked, they gave all the, the kids their their diplomas, and I could just see the looks on some of the parents' faces as these kids got their diplomas. It was just like, finally. Didn't think we'd ever get them here. Where are we, church? I think probably I'm driving home this point so hard today because more and more and more I'm dealing with complaints from you. You're uneasy, you're disgruntled, you're unhappy. We, we've given up the positivity. Well, a, a couple of us just this morning were sort of, you know, I was kind of on my tiptoes, praise the Lord with you, because you said, just can't wait till that first Sunday back in our building and we'll have a big meal. And I was like, yes, that's going to be great. And I thought to myself, and you know what else? We'll be utterly thankful for that because we're so sick of this. But, man, does that not reveal a lot about us as a church? Some churches have to hide to get together. We've got it made. I mean, we we went from that to this. We could have really had a big downgrade. You know that the week that the deacons and I and Brother Scotty looked at where to meet, we did also look at some barns. I, would, I don't know. Mind. A barn without air conditioning this time of the year has been rough. I hope it's caused you to reconsider your view on ministry. 
your view on what the church is, your view on what the church should be doing and shouldn't be doing. What's the point of all of this? Is it just to give you somewhere to go? Is this just help fill out your schedule for the week? Do you actually leave here and go do some ministry? Or is this about as far as it ever goes for you? Jesus goes on to say here, he could not defeat Satan unless he were stronger than Satan. Look at verse 21. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Jesus pictured Satan here as a strong man in his armor, guarding his palace and guarding his goods. But Jesus invaded Satan's territory, destroyed his armor and his weapons and claimed his spoils. Though Satan is permitted limited authority still, we must remember he is a defeated enemy. The kingdom of God is not simply a matter of helpful teaching. It comes with power. And that power is, is to overcome Satan. Mostly, it's other things too. R.C. Sproul says here, we are weak. Satan is stronger, but Jesus is strongest. If we have the power of Christ within us by the Holy Spirit, then that power is stronger than the power that is in the world and the power that is in Satan. That is why we must have the Spirit and we must put on the armor of God in order to resist the devil. Now, before you call me charismatic, I just quoted to you from a robe-wearing Presbyterian. Okay? I don't mean that to offend Dr. Sproul, but if you've ever been to their church... They put on their robes. They march down the aisle. It feels awfully Catholic. They handle. They carry these metal things. I don't, they're called something. I don't know what they're called. I think idols. Oh no, no, not that. But that guy said, "We are weak. Satan is stronger. Jesus is stronger. By the Holy Spirit, we must have the Spirit. We must put on the armor of God in order to resist the devil." Do you know why? We can become like old covenant saints who couldn't see through their traditions and their ways and their methods and their orders and all of their stuff to see that Jesus was among them. It's when we're not being led of God's Holy Spirit. And many of us are so afraid of becoming tongue-talking charismatics that we quench the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day living when the Bible is clear we're supposed to be praying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, we'll often interpret that as Jesus, won't we? I asked Jesus into my heart, and now I am saved. No, Jesus died on the cross to save you, and he sent you the Holy Spirit who indwells you. That's who's in you who's more powerful than he that's in the world. So Jesus has an accusation. He, he presents this contradiction to them, which answers the accusation, but is awfully convicting to the religious establishment. And then he fills out this teaching with an illustration. Look at verse 23. He that is not with me is against me, 
and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. So this is Jesus saying, it is impossible to be neutral in this war. You need to understand this. Neutrality means standing against Jesus. Ten years ago, maybe 12, 15, a guy wrote a book called Not a Fan. Maybe some of you read it. His premise was many people are fans of Jesus, but they're not actually followers of Christ. Being a fan of Jesus will send you to hell. Being a follower of Christ will not. Shanae and I were just talking about a book. I believe it's called Unsaved Christians. Unsaved Christians. Why are Christian authors writing such literature? Because churches have become filled up with people who are fans of Jesus, who like this right here. They, they like, well, maybe not the way I'm coming at you this morning, but they like, you know, dressing for church, coming over here, socializing, making the networking connections, but nowhere inside of them has there been any regeneration. They are still dead in their trespasses and sins. There is no new birth. There is no change of life. There is no change of walk. There is no ministry outside when they leave the church. There's no godliness at all. So they're just unsaved Christians. Well, how can that be? Well, then you're not actually a Christian. I understand that, but I like the term. This is what Jesus is saying here. If you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering people. Daryl Bach says, there are no Switzerlands in this cosmic war. (laughs) To decide for God, one must decide for Jesus. In a cosmic war, there are no spectators. Everyone lines up on one side or the other. The implication is to be careful which side you choose. The miracles not only make a statement about Jesus' authority, they ask a question about our response. There are two spiritual forces at work in our world, and we've got to choose between them. Simply saying, I don't believe in all that, or I don't think I have to be as zealous as chance is, that's that's not the solution. That's a path that will lead to your destruction. It seems right to you now, but later you'll look up and say, oh my goodness, what have I done? Satan is scattering. Satan is destroying Jesus is gathering. Jesus is building. And so we must make a choice. And if we choose to make no choice, that is to choose against him. I don't think many people in this world, especially the American South, think of themselves as being against Jesus. You know, that's like not rooting for the local sports team. Oh, no, I'm not against Jesus. Oh, so you're a Christian? Well, I don't know about all that. You read your Bible? Well, I've read it. You pray? When I need to. Are you a person of faith? Well, I believe in some things. It's funny in the South. We kind of have this social gospel thing whipped. It has become our gospel. We... (laughs) And Southerners are bad to look at the rest of the world and say, oh, everybody's going woke and it's all about the social gospel. But I would submit to you, Southerners, we've had the social gospel my whole life. Why are y'all going to church this morning? Well, it's the right thing to do, ain't it? What'd y'all do today? Well, it's the Lord's Day. What do you think we did? 
Does a duck with one leg swim in a circle? This is my southern accent, in addition to my existing southern accent. That was a little too much, Ben. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we must make a choice. Many are willing to admire Jesus from a distance. So long as he doesn't make demands of them or require their obedience. It's like I like the idea of him. And he's welcome a couple times a year. But day in and day out, I, I can handle this. And men, I'm going to just tell you, you're the worst. I'm one of you, and, and I know how I am, so I'm assuming you're just like that. And, I, and I've been around my wife and my sister and my mother and other ladies in my life that I've been closely related to, and I know they're not wired quite like that. Women, now you have your own set of problems. <laughs> but men, we like to be strong. We like to be in charge. And somehow in there, Jesus insults our pride in that regard. And so we just kind of can't get too devoted. Oh, it just thrills my soul when one of you junk that and come to me and say, You know what? I've just been letting the Holy Spirit guide me and my life has never been better. Amen? Just had one of you recently said that to me. Do you want to testify? Would you feel like testifying? Okay. All right. I was looking back through the pictures from the baptisms we just did, and you, you come up out of the water like this, and I was, I was praising the Lord with you. Praise God, Caleb. But what are we doing? What is this all about? Well, I want to go to the church that has the prettiest building. I want to go to the church where they still have rows of chairs and stained glass. Want to go? I want my church to have a live stream. Everybody else's church has a live stream. And our website better be up to date. And I'm not against any of those things. And those of you who've been around me since 2011 know that when I get into some of that, I go a little overboard. I probably spend more of the church's money than we should on these things. But I'm like, if we're going to do it, let's do the best we can. But when all is said and done, if we're doing all of those things, and people are in and out week after week, not in a relationship with Jesus. Or they simply have this flimsy profession of faith from their childhood where they said, yes, I went down and asked Jesus into my heart, and the preacher affirmed this and baptized me. They gave me a certificate. Well, good. But, but could you talk to him right now if you needed to? Could he talk to you right now if you needed to? One of the reasons these old covenant saints, as we call them, resisted Christ is because somewhere along the line they had stopped listening to God at all anyways. They felt like they were appeasing God by doing what he required of them, but they liked to be able to do what God required of them and then just live their lives however they wanted otherwise. We'll make the decisions in life. You know what decisions God wants you to make day in and day out in your life are? To make the decision to let him make all the decisions. Lord, what would you have me to do? J.C. Ryle said, Let it be the settled determination of our minds that we will serve Christ with all our hearts if we serve him at all. Let there be no reserve, no compromise, no half-heartedness.
Amen. Jesus illustrated the danger of neutrality here by telling the story of a man, the man and the demon. Notice verse 24. So he's just cast out in, in the earlier verses here, this man with a demon. But then he goes and talks more about this. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. And he said, I will return unto my house whence I came out. So the demon is saying, I need somewhere to be. When he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Because that's what happens when a demon is cast out of the bodily temple. To do this, Jesus had to kind of clean, clean up the place to get the demon out, right? So he finds it that way. In verse 26, he goes and he gets seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Jesus' point. Cast out demons till you're blue in the face, but if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're just going to get filled with more demons. That's why 12-step programs hardly work. When there's no being born again, you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're just going to keep doing the same over things, same old things over and over and over and over again. And no offense to any of you who've been a part of a 12-step program. Addiction is a horrible thing, and I'm not telling you to get off that wagon. My point is to it, don't leave Jesus out of the mix. Jesus had cast the demon out of the man, but it wasn't enough to redeem the man. It wasn't enough to get him into the kingdom of God. To get into the kingdom of God, is, it is not enough to simply be rid of the influence of Satan for a season in your life. If a person is exercised of a demon and has nothing good to replace it, there's just this vacuum inside of them. You think you can continue to live your life on the basis of your own strength or on your own good deeds or on your own morality? You may think that you don't need further assistance. I've got what I need from God. You think you don't need to have the Holy Spirit or be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day? Well, Jesus said of that person... That demon's going to return and bring seven of his friends who are worse off than him back into your home, your body. You'll be worse than you were before. This is Jesus' way of saying it is not enough to just clean up your life. You know how many times in my life I've heard somebody say, yeah, I've got to get my life in order and get back in church. Sinead and I were on a drive yesterday and we listened to the radio, and a song came on, and the man said these lines. He said, he was talking about how he had to raise his family and everything, and one of the phrases from that song was, and we got to go to church so we don't go to hell. And I thought, that's the problem. You know the song. It's a very popular song. But that's the problem. Did you come to church today just so you don't go to hell? Well, then you're going to hell. I didn't come to church today to not go to hell Jesus saved me, and now I'm not going to hell. And I came to church today because I wanted to get around other Christians because I've been around the world all week, and I wanted to worship my God with other Christians because I needed the iron to sharpen the iron. I needed your oxygen to pump up my flames. But we've embraced the social gospel in our culture to where that's it. We've just got to go to church. Well, why do you got to go to church? You don't got to go to church. 
It's a horrible symptom of the American Southeast especially. Churches just like us. We feel guilty if we call off too many Sunday night services. Why do we feel guilty about it? Where in the Bible does it say you have to have Sunday night church? Bless God, if it's good enough for Peter and Paul, right? 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, 6 o'clock on Sunday. I used to love hearing Jack Hiles preach when I was a kid. I, that's how I cut my teeth in ministry was preaching tapes from Jack Hiles, Hammond, Indiana, world's largest church. And he would say, if it's 7 o'clock on Sunday nights, and I don't care if it's a Super Bowl. And I, I went along with him. I liked it. I liked his zeal and his passion. I was like, yeah, tell him. Get him. <laughs> but he did, I mean, where's that in the Bible? And I'm just as bad. I'll, I'll say <laughs> these churches having these entertaining Super Bowl parties. What a horrible thing to be doing. You know, horrible thing for Christians to be getting together and having fun. God help us. I'm not mad at you if you want to have Sunday night church. I'm upset with the philosophy that has infected the modern American church to where we think, we better be doing this. Well, we're concerned about all the wrong things. I, if I haven't cleared out the room by now, I'm going to clear it out here. Strap in. We honestly think as Christians that if we can get somebody in the White House who will end abortion, we will stop God's judgment on this nation. That's fallible logic. And I want God. Oh, I, I want anything to happen to stop abortion everywhere, all the time. Don't misunderstand. When I was in school, they said, as a pastor, you better be careful what hills you pick to die on. It can't be a different hill every Sunday morning. You, you better pick some. And I said, all right, I'm going to pick some. And I said, creation. We're a creation church. Young earth, seven days, six literal days. We like Ken Ham and the Hovens and all of these weird people who believe in non-evolution and all of those things. If you weren't sure about us, I guess I'm letting the secret out here, right? And that was my thing. And we typically have a creation Sunday once a year. We, we pushed hard a few years back when the Genesis movie came out. Rented out the movie theaters. A church rented a movie theater? Sorry about that. Some of you, I know that offends you. We ended up having to take, we, we rented out one screen. So many people showed up. In the secular world, that if you watch the news, they'll say, people don't believe in that stuff anymore. Scientists have proved. Well, in little old Dixon, Tennessee, we had to use four screens twice to get all the people in to watch this movie about creation. It's one of the hills I said, you know what? If they fire me and run me out of town for believing God created the world, then that'll be it. The other one was abortion. I said, you know what? If you're going to get mad at me for loving babies... You get mad at me for loving babies. But church, God is not judging our nation because of the abortions. God is judging our nation because of the idolatry in his church. Now God will judge a secular nation when the secular nation is oppressing his people. But typically what you find in scripture is God judging his people because of their own sins. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. You know why that prayer doesn't work in the modern world? Because when we finally decide it's time for us to do that because an election's not going to go our way, we don't even pray for ourselves. We're praying for the sins of everybody else while ignoring our own. 
Okay, you can unstrap. I'm done with that. It's not enough to just clean up our lives. We need to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Only God can bear the fruit of righteousness in us, Sproul says. And that's why if we would fill the vacuum in our lives, we must flee to Christ and embrace him. We are safe from Satan only when we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Riken says if all we ever have is a self-made attempt at personal reformation without a saving work of God's Spirit, we will end up worse off than ever. One of the worst things that can happen to you is to get religion. Especially someone who's seeking, someone who realizes, like, i got to change. My life is not what it needs to be. Best thing that can happen is to be born again. You must be born again. The worst thing that you can, have, it can happen is you, you, get, <laughs> you get voted in for church membership. Because what happens when the church affirms you then? Well, I must be all right. All those people say I'm okay. At this point, a, a woman in the audience interrupts. Verse 27. Typical woman. I'm joking. I'm just joking. I figured I'd throw that one out based off the tone of the service right there, okay? And it, and it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So she pronounces a blessing on Jesus' mother. And I'm going to tell you, this is a fine thing to say. As Baptists, we would we kind of ease up from this because of, because of the Catholicism's beliefs on Mother Mary and all this kind of stuff. But nothing this woman says is, 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 is against Scripture. In fact, Jesus doesn't even actually correct what she said. He just kind of throws out a different point there. So I'm okay with this blessing. She says, blessings on your mother for bringing you into the world so you could do all this good. She didn't even mention Mary. Yeah, praise the Lord. Even the Bible itself says, Mary, you're blessed. She is. What a wonderful thing that she did for all of us. Aren't you glad Mary gave birth to Jesus? Praise the Lord. And I'm not going to worship Mary because of that. I'm going to worship God. Praise the Lord that he used Mary to do this thing. And that's what she said. Jesus then just shifts the attention away from his mother. Yes, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Rather than giving this special attention to his physical family, he turned attention to those who inhabit God's kingdom. Because true blessing comes to those who hear and obey God's word. So we find here that dedication to Jesus involves more than saying good things about him. And it, and it means listening and obeying Jesus. So I think we would end today just by saying, where do you find yourself in this story? Are you like the traditional religious? I know this is not how it reads in the text, but, but I think I'm safe to put this on them. Got to go to church so I don't go to hell. Is that where you find yourself today? Do you find yourself disobeying scripture to keep your tradition? Are you more concerned with how things are supposed to be than what the scripture says and how the Holy Spirit leads? 
Are you hearing the word and keeping the word? And, and maybe you're just sitting here today saying, well, <laughs> this is more than I bargained for. I just want to stay neutral in all of this. Well, I'm sad to tell, no, I'm happy to tell you this morning. You're going to have to pick sides. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me for allowing my flesh to say and do things that were maybe contrary to your Holy Spirit's moving this morning. I pray that you would work in the power of your spirit now amongst your people and do things that no man could ever do anyways. Thank you for your word, its power, and its authority. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that works in our midst to, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. So we'd ask that you would do that now. Lord, for those who've never taken sides, who've never publicly professed Jesus Christ as Lord, may they be born again today. Help them this morning to realize that they're sinners. But you commended your love toward us even while we were sinners. So that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then help those of us who profess this to say, you know what, I'm living this today, I'm going to live it tomorrow. Oh, Father, help us not to be a Sunday morning only church. Help us to not embrace the the social gospel of our own culture. We, we look at other cultures and say, how, how dare they? But we have our own version of it. It's so convicting, Father, to read about these religious leaders who brought this accusation against Jesus and wanted more of a sign from him when he himself stood before them. Jesus, here you are right before us. Help us not to stutter before a world screaming for answers. Father, we pray all this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's remain bowed and just pray as Miss Wiggins plays for us.